All right, well, welcome to the Christ Community Shawnee podcast. This is Joseph. I'm here with Tim. Hey. So we're talking about our series, How to Read Our Bible, which to me is really important because I, I'm teaching a sermon this Sunday, Tim, and I've, I've, got a, I've got an interpretive question for you. Luke 19 ends with Jesus saying that the more shall be given even more in the kingdom of heaven. And so I feel like that's justification for me to root for Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Because he has so many, and I think he should be given more. Is that? I don't know that Tom Brady has anything to do with the Bible. When you look at his his personal life, his, uh, yeah, I just, I don't see that. So you're saying it's out of context. It's both out of context, and I think there's the part of, uh, in Luke's Gospel also, where Satan has many kingdoms, <laughs> and he offers them to Jesus. And I think that's probably more applicable, is that, Tom Brady is more like is a more satanic See, figure. I thought I might have you with me being like a Colts fan, but I guess Well as a Colts fan, I hate Tom Brady. Oh, okay. He is not better than Peyton Manning, no matter how many Super Bowls he will ever win, because he's always surrounded by defense and good coaches and other things. <laughs> and uh, there it is. That's the that's when you know it's real. And other things. <laughs> yeah. Well well, seriously though, I am glad to be doing this podcast as a supplement for what we're doing on our Wednesday nights. Uh, I know we're we're both really excited about what this time can be. We have an interview uh, coming up in this episode with Mary Kay. I think will be really special. Um, but something I, I want to start with is just asking you um, why this class and why now. I know we've talked about it a little bit on Sunday mornings, but what is the reason for starting out 2021 with a how to read our Bible class? Probably a couple of things. One is so 2020 was a year and. And sort of watching, just seeing Christians live in 2020 and seeing myself respond to 2020 and seeing, honestly, things that I didn't find particularly compelling from Christians. And I'm not speaking necessarily about our church. I'm just saying like broad, broad swath, Christianity, what do we have to offer the world in this moment of pandemic? And just kind of being underwhelmed by that. And alongside that, reading about the early church. And there's a book I've quoted a number of times, The Patient Firmament of the Early Church, and here's one of the lines that just it struck me about the early Christians uh, that Alan Kreider writes. Uh, he writes, Because they believed that God answers prayer, they could take risks, live lives that were eventful and imprudent, and be faithful to, use the word superstitio, a religion, that could get them into hot water. There was power here, and outsiders got a whiff of it and wanted it in. Energized by the power of God that they had experienced in worship, many of them lived interesting lives, and the rumors got out. Christian worship was a place of empowerment. This idea, they lived interesting lives, and the rumors got out. And, and, and when I look at my own life, the broader church, um, and I know this will be session three, but like it feels like we're living out of the scripts that our culture is giving us and not the script of the Bible. So whether that's thinking through um, how we respond to a pandemic or how we think about um, a very divided culture, I see basically the church giving the same answers with some Jesus attached to it instead of what the early church did, which was provide a really compelling alternative way of living within the world. And for us as a church to do that, the response is not to come up with creative ideas about what to do, but to actually hear the voice of God and to be led by and directed by the voice of God and then have him lead us. And I sort of just trust if we hear the voice of God, he's going to lead us in that direction. And so that starts with 
with hearing what God has spoken to us, how he's revealed himself to us in his word, not just proof texting scripture, but actually embodying the story of the Bible, um, which requires knowing it. And so that that's where all of this came from. Sort of 2020, okay, where do we go from here now as a church? Man, my own life is not lived in a, you know, in, in the words of Kreider, in a, a way that is interesting or is imprudent or eventful, taking risk, those sorts of things. And I think that's because I'm living out of the wrong story and wanting to get back into the story of Scripture is kind of the heart behind that. Yeah. I think what's been encouraging to me is seeing how positive the response has been from our church, um, that that the way you have, have talked about it and cast vision for it has resonated uh, definitely with me, but but our church as well. And so it's just been really encouraging um, to know that there's going to be people listening to this, and we know so many people have signed up for the class. Um, and so I think that there's something powerful about doing it together. Um, and the running joke <laughs> is, does Christ community have a Bible since it's our Bible. Are, are we going to be pulling out a Christ Community Shawnee Bible at some point in this class? Uh, no. So you're talking, the, the, reason, <laughs> the reason we're calling it our Bible and not your Bible uh, is, and this was Joseph's shift, is really important um, because we read, when we read the Bible alone, when it's my Bible or your Bible, I think we miss a lot. It's when we read it in community with others and it's it's a book actually that, that is is ultimately God's, but it's it's God's to His community, the church, to reveal Himself. There's something really powerful about about reading it in in community as opposed to me and my Bible by myself, because that's where I can often end up with interpretations or justifications for my life that I would never never have if I was reading it with someone with someone else. And it's also, I think, again going back to what I said a second ago, by reading it together as a community. We all end up kind of with our own interesting, unique individual life as we as we as we follow the voice of God wherever He leads. Listening to it, it's not going to be that we all live the same way. We all live differently, um, but that's a part of it. Is is this 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 book is written to a community of people, not just individuals? Yeah, and I'm even thinking we are trying to live out this story, this script, and and inherently in that is a communal aspect that that we are to serve, we are to love one another. And so the only way that we can properly read scriptures to live it out and living it out actually means loving other people. I was just looking at first Corinthians eight right now. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. So even the idea of reading my Bible so I can gain knowledge, um, falls so, so short from, what even the goal of reading scripture is. And I know you, you pressed into that a lot, this, uh, this first session of what actually is the goal of reading scripture, having to do with love, having to do transformation. Speak more into that. Yeah, so we, our goal of this class, or the goal of even why we want people to read their Bibles um, or read our Bibles, is the goal of the Christian life is for us to be more like Christ, right? So the early church, the reason why they lived interesting lives is because they all began to take on the teachings of Jesus and actually were changed to live life as though Jesus was living through them in their own vocation, their own their own place in the world. And so we read for transformation. We read to be transformed, to be like Christ, since that's the new heavens, new earth in for us anyway, is I'm going to be perfected in the image of Christ. That's That's my future. And by hearing God's word and responding to it, we're transformed into his image. And I think that's really important because you know, to paint with a broad brush, this probably isn't the most helpful, but the people I know who read the Bible for information 
oftentimes are the people who don't have particularly compelling lives. I can just be straight. And, and that's not, you know, it's a, yeah. again, it's broad swath, whatever. But in a second, we're going to have an interview with Mary Kay Halstead. And Mary Kay is the sort of person that you look at and you say, I want to know how she reads her Bible because she loves God with her whole heart, mind, soul, strength. And this just exudes from her. And she loves people. She loves her neighbor as herself. And that's why we read. Not necessarily so I can tell you really interesting facts about some obscure verse in Second Chronicles, but so that when I'm sitting across from someone, I love them as if I'm the presence of Jesus to them because God's word, his, his voice, his revelation is so defined who I am and what I do that people who encounter me are encountering Christ. And so that's, that's the goal of reading ultimately. And while that, that'll include good theological information, Augustine says the goal of reading the Bible is to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. And those who have read the Bible and do not love God more or do not love their neighbor more have clearly not understood the scriptures. So that's that's the goal of, of reading is transformation, love of God, love of neighbor. Well, I think you set that up perfectly to, to cut to our interview with uh, Mary Kay, which, which was really a special time. And so why don't we cut to that now? Well, Tim and I are here with Mary Kay, and I'm really excited for this moment to have this interview with you, Mary Kay. I mean, I just experience you as being such a safe person who, who makes other people feel comfortable, but also you have so much wisdom and a lifetime of faithfulness. And so we're, we're just really glad. She just rolled her that, eyes. Yeah, she totally did. <laughs> <laughs> Which points to the humility. You know what it I does. mean? <laughs> or it points to the fact, Mary Kay, I'm curious, how do you feel when your pastors have been alive less than you spent reading the Bible yourself? Your pastors are younger than the time you, you spent <laughs> reading the Bible. How do you feel about that? I love my pastors and I respect my pastors. And so I feel very comfortable because I feel like your knowledge of the word would far exceed mine. Mine's just a practical everyday thing. You have to teach it. You have to know where it comes from and the original languages. And I don't have to do that. What a sweet answer. I gave her the chance to make fun of us, and she didn't. Well, I'll take a chance, because I'm, I'm not sure Tim still knows the original languages, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really glad that you're here, and, and we're talking about how Scripture has been transformative, and the goal of reading Scripture is to transform our lives. And, and we thought it would just be so great to hear from you, having a lifetime of reading the Bible, how has reading Scripture through your life transformed you? The first thing was that my first transformation was when I realized that I needed a Savior. I was just a child, um, the sister of my father, who was his oldest sister. One day, I was at her farm. We spent time there in the summer. She was the sweetest, most godly woman, and her husband was the music director at the church. And she looked at me, and she said, "Um, Do you know that we all are sinners. I said, sinners? I'm just a kid. I'm a good kid. I obey my mom, my dad, and I love people. I don't think I'm a sinner. And she just kind of let that go. Later in the summer, I went to VBS. We had a wonderful, wonderful leader in VBS. She was just magnificent on the stage, and this is years before your time. But she used huge flannel graph boards. Mm. No, that was my time. Yeah, was it yeah. beautifully done? They were gorgeous. They were as big as our screens. And she said, "Do you know, children, that we all have sin in our lives?" 
And I thought, oh, I heard that the summer before. And, you know, I thought about it, and there were times I would go to bed at night, and I would think about that, that my Aunt Edith said that I had sin in my life. I don't think so. Of course, the Bible school leader had gone on to say, Jesus died for our sins. Well, I knew he died on the cross, but Easter to me was a picture of new dress, new hat, new gloves, new shoes, jelly beans, chocolates. (laughs) I mean, Easter was great. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, hmm, but really he died for my sins? Well, how does that work? Well, it was many years later that that became a realization in my life. Many times I would lay in my bed at night and think, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. I don't understand how that works. And I went to church. I went to Sunday school. We had little cards with Bible stories. But I was not taught that Jesus died for my sins and that I needed to ask him into my life. So when I realized that later in my life, it was such a wonderful thing, you know, to come to that realization. And so grateful, so grateful. And all the people through those years that had been in my life prepared me for that. Mm. So that was the first transformation. And there are key passages in my life that have really worked in my heart. Proverbs 31, being a godly woman, I can remember thinking, really, can I ever achieve what's written in those verses. But that was something I wanted to strive for, maybe never arrive, but to strive for in my life. Beautiful verses. James 1, this is kind of things through the years. James 1 was a passage that when my husband was going to teach the book of James, he would read a book through 25, 30 times, and sometimes we would read together, and he would do it in one setting. He had us in church then memorize the first chapter of James, and many of us did memorize the whole chapter. Others just did partial, but that was a really neat thing, and that chapter has always been very special in my life and the whole book of James for that matter. Then the verses in Philippians 4, 4 through 7 where God first starts telling us that we're to rejoice, not in our circumstances, but in our privileged relationship with him, and not to be anxious for anything. Many years, there was a real anxiousness in my life. Things would really bother me. So I learned that verse many years back, but this year, they've just become even more real to me. It's been very practical in my life with the circumstances of, I look back, we lost a granddaughter at six. It was not quite six, and it was very real in my life, those verses during that time about the peace of God. I could just not be anxious, not be fearful, but just be able to turn it over to him and let him work, knowing that he knew everything. And then going through a very serious surgery in 1989, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I worked in gastroenterology, so I knew all the implications of that. Mm. 
very quickly they removed 12 inches of my colon and there was much follow-up through that that just was devastating some days. Then the pathology, when it came back a week later, I had no cancer. And both my gastroenterologist I worked for and my surgeon had said, there is no doubt, it's malignant. And they'd already taken out 12 inches of my colon, and I didn't have cancer. You know, those verses, I would quote them in the morning, but I would write them on a napkin in my hospital bed and carry that around in my pocket. They're just so reassuring to me that I don't have to be anxious, but everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that God meets my needs. That was just a wonderful thing. Those verses are wonderful to me. And there are others. But those passages that I've shared are very, very important in my life. Take us into, uh, I mean, you've had a number of moments, like really intense moments throughout your life. Granddaughter, I, mean, I didn't even know about the colon cancer. I mean, that's right. Really, that's I, I don't talk about that much, but it was a pivotal moment in my yeah. life. I mean, it was frightening. And I think because I worked in it, that it just was so much more real to yeah. me. And I knew the, you know, the day that the pathology report came back, there were about... 20 people from our church sitting in a family waiting room, mm. and it was late. It should have been back in two days. It had been five days. My gastroenterologist that I work for called me that very day, and he said, Mary Kay, have you heard your path report? I said, no. He said, well, I'm in the office. You know that today, but when I'm finished here, I'm calling. And about an hour later, we were all in this waiting room, and Dana was probably 25 feet across the room from me. And the surgeon walks in to me, and he says, um, how are you today? And I said, I'm good. He said, you feel well? I said, I feel wonderful. I've never felt badly. And he said, something, and I couldn't understand what he said. And he turned, and he walked clear across the room to Dana, and he said that I didn't have colon cancer. The tears just start down his face, and I thought, oh, this is worse than we'd predicted. And Dana comes over, and I'm sitting, so he kneels in front of me and takes my hands and tells me that I don't have cancer. Mm. And the surgeon's standing there, and he said, you don't. And I said, I don't? Then how did all this happen, you know? Well, nobody knew. But, Mm. yeah. And then, too, this summer, Philippians 4, 4 through 7, were so real to me going through Janda's breast cancer. That's another time. So these verses are just precious in my life. Yeah. So you mentioned Janda, your daughter, and then obviously Dana and his battle with Alzheimer's. So what does Bible reading look like for you in those seasons? Because I know for me, when it's a heavier season, it can be hard to pick up your Bible, to go and read and want to engage there. So how did, I mean, you mentioned the napkin in your pocket, and that's really powerful to me. But what are other ways just practically... What did Bible reading look like for you in those seasons of, of intensity? This summer, I was so busy. It was harvest in Goodland. I had never done harvest. My granddaughter, Annika, who's the senior this year, she had worked a couple summers helping her, you know, with harvest, and she got very ill. After the first day, she helped me learn how to pack the food into the back of the vehicle to get it to the fields. That very night, she said, I don't think I'm feeling well. 
And probably she had COVID at that time because she did test that she has antibodies in December. So I thought, oh, how am I going to do this? And I was so busy. You have to know, I guess I just say you have to have a priority. The first thing I do in the morning when I wake up is I thank God for his protection over the night, give him my day, asking him to direct it the way he wants it to go, and if he needs to change what I have on my schedule to help me to adapt to that. And I just thank him for who he is and who he is in my life. Then I would always do my Bible reading and my prayer time, and I have a prayer notebook. I found that I could not pray effectively unless I had things in front of me. So I keep a very detailed notebook, and it's very private. If anybody ever got in it, I would be very disappointed because there's things in there that nobody should know but me. So I've just always tried to make a priority of doing that first thing in the morning. I was able to do that in Goodland. With Dana's Alzheimer's disease, (laughs) you never knew when you woke up in the morning just what was going to happen. And he had always been very faithful in his time with the Lord. As time went on, that didn't happen. I might be trying to read my Bible, and he would just come and take it. (laughs) 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 And he's the only one that ever carried my prayer notebook around. Mm. Because you can't change what they're thinking. You have to redirect them. So I just have to wait till he decided he was done with that prayer notebook or my Bible. So there were times that I'd be afternoon, evening, nighttime before I even touched my Bible again. Hmm. Because my days were nuts. They were crazy some days. He'd go out in the fall and he'd collect all these leaves and he'd bring them in the house and he'd put them all over my counters and on the end tables and on the carpet. And I would just be exasperated, but I had to be calm. And those were the kind of days I had. I'd have to get those cleaned up, and then he'd be back out getting more. He had a bucket. Our little great-granddaughter, we had her quite a bit during that time because her mom was finishing school, and she was just a toddler, and she had a little bucket, and he had a bigger bucket. Mm-hmm. They collect leaves. And this would go on all day, every day. And it didn't matter how early I got up. Yeah. When I awakened and my foot hit the floor, he was awake, and yeah. he was ready to go. My time in the Word became very precious to me because it just assured me that God was with me. Isaiah 41, Isaiah 43 um, just became so precious to me. And during those times, a very practical thing, kind of like my writing verses on a paper towel and carrying them in my pocket, starting at the time of the colon cancer, I remember walking down the halls praying before the pathology came back, that God would use my life during this time to show other people his power and his strength because I did not have that, and I knew that. That was not my temperament. I didn't think it was wrong that I cried. That's an emotional release. That's okay. But I did not want to fall apart to the point that I couldn't see my Savior handling my life. I wanted that so much, and I can remember there was a song that says, um, how do you know my God is real? Because I can feel his hand in mine. Hmm. 
And I know we don't go by feeling, but I literally walked that hall holding my Savior's hand, Mm -hmm. literally feeling his hand in mine. Mm -hmm. And that was enough for me. That's the words of that song. I can feel his hand in mine, and that's enough for me. So reassuring. That's how I dealt with it, Tim. Yeah. Well, as someone who saw you through that that season of caring for Dana, Mary Kay was like the original coffee brewer of the Shawnee campus. So was Dana. I mean, you guys did that together. But, I mean, seeing you care for him was a powerful witness to me and testimony even just continues to be. I mean, thinking back on that. Um, And as we think about even this, like how to read our Bible, the idea isn't just we want people to know the Bible better, but actually we believe it leads to transformed living. And Augustine said, the proof that you understood the Bible is that you love God and you love your neighbor more. And I think you embody that really well. And so to those listening to this, if you want to know what engaging your Bible in a meaningful way looks like, just hang with Mary Kay for an afternoon. You get a sense of the life that comes out of someone who who reads their Bible and engages it. It becomes powerful words on a napkin in the midst of colon cancer and also becomes a, a life that's a powerful witness and testimony to the rest of us. So thanks thanks for being that and thanks for being willing to come in here and, and teach us uh, us younger folk how to read our Bible. Thank you for your kind words, Mr. Tim. Well, I hope uh, you guys really enjoyed that interview with Mary Kay. She's uh, such a special person to our congregation and Again, if you want to see what it means to have your life transformed by the Bible, just hang with her for an afternoon. See the way she loves people and loves God. Um, So yeah, we hope this helps give you energy to go and and engage your Bible this week. And we look forward to uh, connecting with you next time on the next podcast on how to read our Bible.